Welcome to Christian Renewal Church Sunday Sermon. Thanks for tuning in to our series, The Life of Elijah, which is a study on Elijah's life found in 1 Kings. For more information about this sermon and other resources, please visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org. We're going to finish Elijah today, and we'll, we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. Lord, we believe your words, holy, inspired, infallible. This is the breath of the Holy Spirit to us. And so this morning we expect to encounter you. Lord, no person came to hear a man or a gifting. We came to hear the voice of the Spirit, Lord. So everything I say that's not from your heart, I pray it falls to the wayside. And every word that's from your mouth, I pray that it would cut, pierce, inspire, move, and change. We honor your voice, Holy Spirit. We need you in this time, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need an encounter with God. We need more than the intellect of man. We need the, the presence of the Holy Ghost in our midst. We need you, Holy Spirit. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. John fourteen twelve. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. I pray often for the fruitfulness of this church beyond me, beyond us. I ask God that souls would be coming alive, regenerated, born again in this house because of the ministry of this church long after I'm gone. I think every person with a real kingdom mindset thinks about ministry beyond them. They recognize that it's not just that God wants to use me and use my life, but he wants to work through my life. And it's the heart of every kingdom man or woman that God do more in the coming generations than he, he's done in mine. And so I, I pray often, God, let this, let this work flourish generations beyond us. Let souls come alive in Jesus' generations Beyond this, it's a bit of a strange thing to pray. It's also a recognition that the ministry we're called to is bigger than what we're capable of fulfilling in our lifespan. And so you begin to consider the ideas of legacy and calling. And it's inconsistent as far as I'm concerned to pray for legacy and calling for the generations in the future to preach the gospel with boldness and with power for the generations to come to be anointed with the Holy Spirit, heal the sick, cast out devils. It's inconsistent to pray those prayers and not be people of active discipleship. Right. Like it's not enough just to pray. God use the generations to come, but you invest in the generations to come. You live with the generations to come. You actively look for people who carry the gifting and the integrity to for the work. And, you, and you, you invest in them. So as a church, it's not enough to pray, God, use the generations to come in this house. Let the work of God flourish 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now because of this church. It's not enough just to pray those words and not be people of active discipleship. Again, the man or woman who takes their mission in the kingdom of God seriously prays that prayer and actively disciples because they are working towards legacy, a greater work. Reinhard Bunke passed away this month on the 7th of December. 
You remember he was the German evangelist, if you didn't know him. He was a German evangelist um, who felt called to Africa. And, and, and Reinhard Bunke had no immediate fruit or success. He wasn't like incredibly um, charismatic or winning crowds off his personality right away. He had no immediate fruit. In 1950, the number of Christians in Africa was less than 10 million, and the bulk of those Christians were um, Dutch, the white, the Europeans in South Africa. And Reinhard Bunke said he had a dream of a map of Africa. He kept seeing a map of Africa in a dream that began to turn red, red like blood, and he kept hearing a voice say, Africa shall be saved. At Reinhardt's death this month, um, this again the 7th of December, the estimated number of Christians in Africa is 335 million. During his lifetime, the continent shifted in its demographic of professing Christians from 10 million to 335 million. He preached crusades that exceeded 1 million people in attendance. That's more people than live in all of Charlotte, right? Like Charlotte's like 800,000 people. Recorded 77 million decisions for Christ throughout his crusades. 77 million people took the time to fill out a card and say that they had given their life to Jesus. And the card was to connect them with a local pastor. 77 million is roughly one-fourth of the population of the United States of America. Now, there were many missionaries in Africa over the period of 1950 to the year 2019. But Reinhardt's ministry without a doubt, had an unprecedented effect on a continent. And when a man lives that intentional, lives that in tune with his call, lives that on fire and on purpose for the kingdom of God, that man does not allow his ministry or his legacy to end with his lifespan, right? That man intentionally, Reinhard Bunke intentionally, years ago brought a young man named Daniel Kalinda from the Brownsville School of Revival to begin to minister with him. And today, Daniel Kalinda carries his ministry. And Kalinda has already seen some 20 million decisions for Christ throughout his ministry. I was in a conference with Daniel Kalinder recently, and he announced that um, Reinhardt's ministry that he now leads is getting ready to begin to train evangelists, starting a school of evangelism, believing for God to raise up new evangelists to the nation. I say all that to say that the idea of passing off a mantle of ministry is a biblical pattern. The, the heart of a man or woman of God that, that's really in tune and in love with Jesus, the heart of Reinhardt Bunke, for instance, I don't think was to go down in history as the greatest evangelist there ever was. I don't think the heart of any man or woman of God is to be the greatest preacher, to be known as the best. Because for your heart to be known as the best is to dictate that you want those to come after you to, to not thrive in comparison to you, right? Like, like it's, it's, it's to want to be known as the best is to want to excel above the rest. But the heart of a man or a woman of God says, I want my ceiling, my best to be your floor. I want you to go further. I want you to love Jesus deeper. I want more souls to come to know God because of your life. The heart of a, a father or mother in the kingdom pushes the next generation further. They're not in competition with the next generation. And that's a biblical pattern. Um, Paul certainly had the idea of successors in mind when he spent his life with young Timothy and Silas. He had the idea of succession, who would continue the ministry beyond him. And remember, we keep talking about the fact that Elijah and Moses have parallels. That's 
very obvious throughout the text. And Moses walked closely with a young man named Joshua. And Joshua was gifted in leadership. Joshua had all those natural abilities and natural qualities that some men are graced with in order to lead. Joshua also was incredibly faithful and loyal. And he was a man of integrity as he walked with Moses. And Moses' baton was passed off to Joshua. And now Elijah, by the word of the Lord, has been told that there is a younger man named Elisha who will be his successor. And like Joshua, Elisha is gifted. I think Elisha is graced with a prophetic gifting. Um, Elisha is also a man of faithfulness and loyalty and integrity. He says to Elijah in our passage today, um, I will not leave your side. I will walk with you until you're taken. Um, That's the kind of loyalty you hope to have in a successor. And again, I want to read to you the words from John 14, 12. Where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Let's read 2 Kings. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 14. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? He said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of the men went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Elijah took off his cloak. He rolled it up up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could walk over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he, being Elisha, took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in pieces. He took up the cloak of Elisha that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elisha that had fallen from him and he struck the water saying, Where's the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted on one side and to the other and Elisha went over. Now we've left 1 Kings and we stepped into 2 Kings and we've skipped over some passages of Scripture that have left Elijah's life as the 
primary focus of the narrative. Although Elijah still poked his head in the chapters of First Kings that we skimmed over. Remember Jezebel has Naboth killed because Ahab wants his vineyard. And Elijah steps in and rebukes Ahab and prophesies the death of Jezebel. The next king, Ahab's son, Ahaziah sent men to inquire of false gods, and Elijah confronted him. You remember the king sent a group of 50 soldiers to come and pull Elijah down from a mountain. And Elijah said, if I be a man of God, let fire come from heaven and consume these men. And fire does come from heaven and consume 50 men. And the king sends another 50, and Elijah does the same thing. If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume these men. And fire does come from heaven and consume these men. The king sends another 50, and God says to Elijah, um, go with him. So Elijah's life has been eventful even after his encounter with God at the cave of Mount Horeb. And since the encounter with God at the cave of Mount Horeb, when he heard the still small voice of God, Elijah has been with him, Elisha. Elisha has learned from him, served him faithfully, shown himself loyal to the person of Elijah, to the ministry of Elijah, and to the God of Elijah. We pick up today in our narrative, and all of the prophets know that today is Elijah's last day. They ask Elisha twice, don't you know that today is the day your master will be taken from you? And Elisha responds, of course I know, keep quiet. And Elijah seems to be making his farewell rounds. He's going from Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. He's kind of popping around, walking long distances. And Elijah keeps saying to Elisha, just stay here. I'm going to go a lot farther. You don't need to come with me. And Elisha puts his loyalty and faithfulness on display saying, no, I'll walk with you a little further. Three times Elijah tells Elijah to stay. Verse 2, verse 4, verse 6. Elisha, stay behind. And three times, Elijah, Elisha shows his determination to see this thing through. And as commentators often mention this, that even as you begin to meditate on this passage, my brain began to shift to remember Peter saying to Jesus, um, I'll follow you even unto death. And Jesus says to Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Seth Peter was trying to mimic Elisha, saying, no, I'll go with you. And, and, and Jesus saying, no, you're not Elisha who follows Elijah to the end. Three times you will deny me. And in the closing chapters of John, in the closing of John's gospel, is where um, Peter's fishing again, remember? And he sees Jesus on the shore, and he gets out of the boat, and they s- swim to the shore. And Jesus has some fish on the bank. And Jesus says to Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lamb. Peter, do you love me? That three, three question interrogation. And um, Jesus reinstates Peter back to this place of leadership. Elisha, three times, I will follow you. Peter, I will follow you even to death. Three times he denies Jesus. And what a gospel paradigm what a gospel revelation that that Jesus does not say to Peter no you're not Elisha you're going to you are now disqualified from thank you so much John you're now disqualified from um serving me but rather Jesus says to Peter no you denied me three times you're not Elisha but get up and dust yourself off because the day of Pentecost is coming and thousands are going to come to the gospel because of your preaching because this kingdom is a kingdom of redemption 
Some of you here might say today, I'm not the loyal Elisha. I'm the denying Peter. That's okay. What matters is what you do tomorrow. After the third request, Elisha, stay here. Elijah honors Elisha's resolve and says, what shall I do for you? Elisha's response is ambitious. Give me a double portion of your spirit, Elijah. Now, that's not a jab at Elisha or a selfish request for power. Elisha was not saying, I want to be twice as successful as you. I want twice the power of you. I want twice the influence of you. It, was, it wasn't a jab at Elisha. The law of Moses in Deuteronomy 21 verse 17 says that the eldest son shall receive a double portion of all the father has. Scholars say that it was the role of the firstborn son to carry on the life work of the father. So the firstborn, when everyone got their inheritance, the firstborn got twice as much as everybody else because it was his job and his responsibility to carry on the legacy of the father, the family work, to carry on the name of the father. It was the firstborn's right to a double portion because it was the firstborn's responsibility to carry the legacy forward. And so by asking for a double portion, Elisha is not competing with Elijah or saying, I want more than you've had. Elisha is submitting himself to Elijah and saying, I want to be the unique double portion son who carries on your life work. It's a humble request. There, there are many other prophets, 50 other prophets. Each town, they go to Bethel and the prophets say to Elijah, don't you know that today is the day that your uh, master will be taken from you? So there's prophets in Bethel. And then to Jericho, they go and don't you know, the other prophets say, don't you know that today's the day your master will be taken from you? And there are other prophets in Jericho. And then there are prophets that follow them to the Jordan. So there are other prophets. Elisha is asking to be the unique double portion succeeder of Elijah. And that is an honoring of Elijah's ministry. And it's a responsibility to fulfill his life's work. Elisha's heart is not to outdo Elijah, but to carry on Elijah's work. Now, it's often noted that Elisha performs twice as many miracles of Elijah. And that's true if you count the miracle. At the, uh, there was a dead man who was thrown onto the bones of Elisha. So Elijah's been dead for, for years. And a dead man's body is thrown into the same grave where Elisha's bones were. And the scriptures say that when the dead man touched Elisha's bones, he raised back to life. If you count that miracle, Elisha does perform twice as many miracles as Elijah. But the, the point was not to outdo Elijah or compete with Elijah. It was a kingdom, father's heart to son's heart of carrying on and fulfilling and greater work shall you do because I go to the father in heaven. You'll go further. You'll run harder. You'll see more success. Elijah says, it's a hard thing that you've asked me for. But if you see me when I'm taken, your request will be granted. If your eyes are on me. Who are your eyes on? So they get to the, to the river Jordan and Elijah takes off his mantle, his outer garment. He rolls it up. You know, like when you're getting ready to pop your spouse with a towel, you know, you don't smack him. He rolls up his mantle and he pops the Jordan River and the Jordan River parts and they walk through. And again, we're, we're met with Moses imagery, right? Because Moses parts the Red Seas with his staff. Moses' staff was his sign of authority. The, 
the kind of token of his prophetic prominence. And with the staff, he parted the waters. But Elijah's sign, his kind of token of prophetic prominence is his mantle. He's recognized by his mantle. And so he takes off his mantle and he pops the water and the water parts and they walk across. And so immediately you're reminded of Moses, but you're also reminded of Joshua because as Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, the, the Jordan stopped up, remember, and they walked across on dry land. And so as, you, as, you, as you're peddling through this passage and considering the life of Elijah and Elisha, you're confronted with the life of Moses and Joshua. And this theme of succession rolls forward. So the water parts, they cross. And the scripture says that Elijah and Elisha were walking together. There's imagery there too. They're walking and it says as they talked. And that, that, that's a beautiful imagery of what discipleship, what um, a father and a son's heart looks like. Jesus walked with his disciples, talked with his disciples. Elijah is walking and talking with Elijah. And as they do, chariots of fire come in between them and split them. And a whirlwind catches Elijah up and takes him into heaven. Elijah is escorted into the throne room of God by angelic beings. See God's love for this prophet. God's favor on this prophet's life. Remember that years ago, Elijah ran from Jezebel and prayed, God, take my life. But that's not where the story ends. The story ends with the redemptive hand of God still using Elijah in power and then catching him up in a chariot of fire as if to declare, I still love the man. Still my prophet. I'm still faithful to him. Why is he taken in a chariot of fire? Your speculation is as good as mine, my friend. I've been singing all week, swing low, sweet chariot, thinking about this passage. Swing low. Deuteronomy um, chapter 34, verse 6, tells us that the Lord himself buried Moses' body. And Jude in verse 9 says that Satan disputed with Michael, uh, the archangel Michael, over the body of Moses. It's a strange passage. Um, Many speculate that God buried Moses' body, and the scripture says that no one knows where Moses is buried, um, because if, if the Israelites had known where Moses was buried, his gravesite would have become a shrine. His life was so influential that they would have worshipped at his gravesite. It may be true of Elijah also. I think you could speculate that way, that God snatches Elijah up and doesn't allow him to experience natural death because he doesn't want his gravesite to become a place of worship. Maybe God took Elijah rather than allowing him to die in a natural way because God was making a statement of the coming of Elijah. Remember the prophets say that, that, that Elijah would come again. Elijah would come before the Messiah. And, and Jesus says that the spirit of Elijah was on John the Baptist, that John the Baptist fulfilled those texts. And maybe it was a statement saying Elijah's not done yet. The, 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 the prophetic spirit and ministry of Elijah is not done. Either way, Elisha shouts as he's taken, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha rips his own clothes in this moment. He tears his garments. It's often a sign of mourning. As he rips his own clothes, the mantle of Elijah, the cloak of Elisha falls. 
and he picks it up and he puts it on. Now, I don't know if Elijah tore his clothes solely out of a sign of mourning or if he also tore his clothes out of a, out of a statement as if to say, I'm stepping out of my own strength and my own power. I'm stepping out of my past life and I'm putting on the mantle of Elijah. Elijah's mantle, again, is a sign of his calling and authority. He's recognized by his mantle, by his dress. It's the same mantle that Elijah smacked the water with. It's the same mantle. Remember when Elijah was in the, in the cleft of the rock at Mount Horeb, when, when, when God began to speak, the scripture says that Elijah pulled his mantle over his face so that he wouldn't see the glory of the Lord. 1 Kings 19.19 19, says that when Elijah met Elisha, Elijah took off his own mantle and he threw it over Elisha's back as if to say, you're called to follow me. And that, that, was a, that was a sign of you're to be my successor. And in some ways, the mantle of Elijah was promised to Elisha on that day when Elijah threw it over Elisha's back. So Elisha now wears the mantle of Elijah. He walks to the Jordan River. He takes it off. He rolls it up like he's getting ready to pop his spouse. And he smacks the water and he says, where is the God of Elijah? And the water parts. Now as we prepare to close, I'd like to read to you from Acts chapter 1. Starting in verse 4 through 11. The scripture says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, he being Jesus, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The disciples look on Jesus as he ascends into a cloud of heaven. And they were told to wait in Jerusalem for the descending of the Holy Spirit. And Elisha watches Elijah caught up in his chariot of fire. And as he watches, the mantle floats down to the ground. Elisha's mantle was a sign of his authority. It was the power of the Holy Spirit on the life of Jesus that uniquely identified him as the fulfillment of every messianic prophecy. Elisha wears the mantle of Elijah, and that is a sign to everyone he meets that he now walks in the power and the authority of his predecessor. But the church, the disciples, will wear the Holy Ghost, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and it's a sign to the earth that we belong to Jesus. John 14, verse 12. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Ask anything in my name and it will be done for you. So as Elisha prays, smacks the water. Where is the God of Elijah? Jesus tells the disciples, you ask in my name. Elisha keeps his eyes on Elijah, watching as he's swept up in heaven. And the disciples watch Jesus as he's caught up in a cloud. Their eyes caught on him, so much so that two angels stand in their midst, and they're unaware of their presence. And the angelic beings say, why do you stare the same way you saw him go? You'll see him come. And those who, whose eyes are caught on Jesus and who stay in the place of encounter... Jesus, stay here. Stay in this place of encounter with your eyes locked upon me until the power of the Holy Ghost descends upon you. Stay in the place of encounter. And as the mantle descends on Elijah, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples. Elisha was the unique double portion heir of the life and ministry of Elijah. Jesus is too big to have a unique successor. Jesus does not call a single man to carry on his ministry, but rather Jesus births the church. And the church of Rome may tell you that Peter was the unique successor to Jesus's ministry, but Peter was not the sole apostle. James was the head of the church at Jerusalem, and Paul thoroughly rebukes Peter in Galatians chapter 2, and Peter submits to him. I don't know if you know this, but no one ever rebuked Jesus. No, Jesus does not call an individual to carry his mantle, but rather he sends the Holy Spirit and he anoints the disciples corporately. All those who stayed and waited in the upper room, the 120, received the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit. We, the invisible church, have received in the Holy Spirit the particular and unique commission to carry on the life work of Jesus. Jesus thought through that his ministry, what he wanted to accomplish was bigger than a single lifespan. And so he raised up disciples, he poured into disciples, and then he sent the unique marker of his ministry. He poured that out on all of the church to as many who as believe the spirit will be given. Jesus intends to see his life, death, and resurrection shape all of history, to shape every nation, every tribe and tongue, every ethnicity, every people group are to be shaped by the gospel message and the carriers of the gospel will be anointed. They will be clothed in the same power that he walked in. The gospel invites you to take part in the legacy of Jesus. To live as disciples. To live as double portion sons who have the unique responsibility to carry forward the work. To corporately see greater works done in the earth. Greater work shall you do. I don't think that's an 
an individual text. I don't think that text means that if, if your life doesn't have greater works than Jesus, then you should feel condemned and hit yourself in the head over and over. I think that text means it's a corporate to the church. The, ch- the, the church will do greater works than Jesus. You're called to wear the garments of Jesus, to be clothed in his righteousness for salvation, and to wrap around your shoulders the power of the Holy Spirit as your mantle. Worship team, if you come for me. I want to ask you this morning what mantle are you wearing? Elisha tore his clothes and threw them away so that he could pick up the mantle of Elijah and put it on. In order to walk in and be fulfilled by the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit, you will have to tear your personal ambitions and throw them to the wayside. You'll have to tear your selfishness and throw that to the wayside. You'll have to tear your goals and your dreams and your wants and desires to be honored and to be praised. You have to tear all of that and throw it to the wayside. And the single focus of your life must now be to carry on the legacy and the ministry of Jesus. And so if I asked you a very pointed direct question in one sentence, in just one sentence, tell me why you're alive today. Your answer would tell me which mantle you wear. The Holy Spirit is available, the scriptures say, to all who believe. Have you drawn near to the Holy Spirit? Or do you live life out of your own strength? Have you kept your eyes on Jesus? Have you waited for him in the place of encounter? Tarried for his presence? Is your devotional life more than running through some boxes and saying some prayers, which is all which is all good. But is it is it is it waiting on the presence of the Holy Spirit? Have you tarried in the place of encounter? As we close this year and look towards the next, I want us to be reminded that Elisha walked in the mantle of Elijah, and the church walks in the mantle in the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is not to function by its own strength, by its own wisdom, and its own insight. Can you imagine if the disciples just tried to do it on their own? The disciples were wildly successful because they were wildly submitted to the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit. 
we as a church are not to move forward based on our own energy, our own intellect, our own schemes and plans and programs. We as a church are to be founded upon the strength given to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We as a church are to listen for His wisdom, are to lean on His power, to be people of prayer who cry out for His intervention. Not by our own strength. We do not walk with our own mantle around our neck, but we walk with the mantle of our master. And Elisha is identified by Elijah's mantle. The world is not going to respond to the church if the church looks just like the world with great programs. and great. If the church's sole ambition is to be very organized and to be very structured. And if, if our ambition is to have great pr- pr- production, the world is not going to look at the church and say, my God, there's something different there. When the church recognizes the power of the, of the Holy Spirit, when the world recognizes the power of the Holy Spirit on the church, then they'll say, by God, there's something different there. We are not to be identified by our programs or by our structure or by our systems. We're to be identified by the power and the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. The church is to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, Put off the flesh. Put on the Spirit. If you live by the flesh, you shall die. But if you by the Spirit put to death the flesh, you shall live. Galatians chapter 5. Walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. If you would stand to your feet. I want to pray for a moment. And altar team, if y'all would get in place. I want to close 2019 and step into 2020 asking for the Holy Spirit to be the single identifier of this church, to be the unique mantle that we carry individually and corporately. So I'm going to pray, and even as I pray, y'all listen to me, even if I, as I pray, if you want to come, if you, if you want to pray today, God, I need your Holy Spirit in the coming days. If you need to pray, God, my own wisdom's not enough. My own strength's not enough. God, I've tried to do this out of my own energy, and I'm weak. If you want to pray this morning, just, God, I need more of you. I need more. Even as I pray, I want to ask you to begin to come in the altars. Let's end this year, go into next year praying, Holy Spirit, you have got to be center. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you, Holy Spirit. More than intellect, we need you, Holy Spirit. More than strategy or structure, we need you, Holy Spirit. We need your power in our midst, God. Holy Spirit, Jesus said, if he be lifted up, he draw all men unto himself. Draw this community to the gospel, Holy Spirit. Bring a great drawing of this community to the gospel, Holy Spirit. Let ears be opened. Let eyes be opened. Let veils be removed from eyes, God. Let the glory of Jesus be known, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. Transform lives. Cause dead hearts to be born again. Turn hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Only you can do it, Holy Spirit. 
Lord, we can't, we can't manipulate up enough emotion to get people saved. People are not going to come to Jesus because of my character or my gifting or anybody else's. They're only going to come to Jesus because of the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Do it, oh God, we need you in our midst. Do it, oh God, we need you in our midst. Not by strength, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Go ahead and lift your hands if you need to receive that word this morning. Not by strength, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. By my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. By my spirit, says the King of heaven. By my spirit. Thank you for listening to this Sunday sermon. Subscribe to our podcast for new messages weekly. Visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org for more resources. We hope you have a blessed week.